0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Hi April. Hi Rachel. How are you doing? Well, I'm burning the candle at both ends. How are you doing? (laughs) Probably about the same. (laughs) So I'm heading out to the desert this weekend and so are you. Yeah, we are both heading out to the desert. Kind of different locations, but we're both heading out there. Yeah, so we are not in the studio, as you can probably hear from this recording, so I was hoping to listen to something to get me on the mood on the way out there. And I know that you have a pretty great program that you listen to. Yeah, a friend of a friend, uh, I've met him a few times, his name is Ken Lane. He has a radio show in Joshua Tree. They broadcast uh, once a week, and then he also you know, has a podcast. And it's called Desert Oracle, and it's all about... Stories in the desert. Some of them are really spooky. Some of them are historical. Some of them are hilarious and really interesting, really kind of mysterious. I think it's a show that you'll love, and I think our listeners are really going to like it too. In fact, he has a live taping coming up in Palm Springs at the Ace Hotel. It's going to be on November 16th at 7 p.m. So, Rachel, I thought that we could play an episode of Desert Oracle for you and our listeners to hear i'm so excited april because i'm going to get in the mood in the car well let's listen here's desert oracle (laughs) transmitting from the mojave wilderness in joshua tree california now is the time for desert oracle radio the voice of the desert
1: night has fallen on the american desert you remember the Landers earthquake, June 28, 1992. The biggest quake to shake California in 65 years, a magnitude 7.3 officially designated violent on the Mercalli scale. Landers On the northern outskirts of the high desert town of Yucca Valley, if you're headed north on Highway 247, is a sparsely populated land of Joshua trees and dry rolling hills. It's beautiful up there and it still feels wild. Sure, you might have a nice designer couple from Echo Park and one neighboring cabin, but the other two still might house the old high desert. The one where you could live so cheaply as to entertain the most philosophical approaches to life. Or the most criminal. Landers is something else. Well, in 1992, there were some artists and nudists and UFO cultists and Buddhists living up around Landers, as is even more so the case today, but mostly there were people who were attracted to the desert life for reasons deep within them, people who perhaps did not care to talk about such things, people who perhaps had run from something within or without Some hassle, some intractable problem, or maybe just boredom with a pretty dull system day by day. It was easier in some ways in 1992. You could still rent a shack or open a savings account without a credit report. You could live on cash dollars. And if all else fails, you can cash your social security or military retirement or public services union pension check right there at the Stater Brothers. And you know, in 1992, you could still stop by the SoCal Edison office on the 247 and pay your electric bill with a 20. Of course, now you can toss up a couple of solar panels and say goodbye to the utility bill forever, if you want You can have a cell phone, if you want. You can sit in your nice old homestead cabin and look at the same TV as everybody else in every other form of human habitation. And when a 7.3 earthquake strikes, even an officially violent one. A benefit of mostly sort of built to code one story structures far from one another is that a big quake just can't do as much damage to people and their things. Fewer people, fewer things. There was one fatality. And a sad one. A child of just three and a half years old. Asleep. Killed by a collapsing fireplace. Joseph Bishop. Was his name, visiting Yucca Valley with his parents. There were additionally more than 400 injuries. Shop windows exploded, propane fires broke out, one story buildings were shaken off their slabs or even flattened. And throughout Landers, the earth just opened up gashes across these sandy hills up to 18 feet across with vertical displacement of 6 feet in some spots canyons opened up in a minute or two of intense shaking and some homesteaders found their corrals or sheds 6 feet above the rest of the compound Highway 247 Old Woman Springs Road a twisting 2 lane highway that's the only such thing in or out of Landers even the 247 was torn apart The north end was jolted up and over a good eight feet. The blacktop crumbled over the break. The water sloshed out of Devil's Hole and Death Valley and swimming pools, not just out in Los Angeles and Orange County, but all the way to Idaho. The geysers at Yellowstone went on a new schedule. And in Landers, there was liquefaction over seismic faults nobody knew existed the day before. Nobody knew they existed. In fact, the geologists were in a wild panic because they believed the lander's quake and its powerful aftershocks were just the beginning of the big one, the overdue San Andreas monster quake that will, one of these days, rip the whole state apart. They expected such a disaster that President Bush, the first one, was rushed back from Camp David to be ready at the White House when hell opened up in Los Angeles. Still in shock from a week straight of riots that burned and scarred LA from downtown to Santa Monica. The big one still hasn't happened. And seismologists still don't know exactly what the lander's quake meant. One theory is that the San Andreas Fault itself is being replaced. Replaced by a series of faults running up through the Mojave Desert and up through the Owens Valley in the Eastern Sierra, home of Mammoth Mountain, which you will remember is a volcano still warming the hot springs at Benton and Travertine. The whole reason these deserts exist is because of the seismic action that created the Sierra Nevada and the San Bernardino and Tehachapi Ranges, the massive walls that turned our interior to desert by holding back the clouds, starving this land of water. Deserts are always lands of little rain. But the way it got that way here is by the same method that tore landers apart 25 years ago, the plates of the earth. Slipping and striking and sliding and smashing against one another. By the way, the Mercalli scale, it measures the intensity of the quake. The effects of the quake here on the surface is named for Giuseppe Mercalli. An Italian volcanologist, a Catholic priest, a natural sciences professor at Naples, and the creator of the Mercalli Intensity Scale for Measuring Earthquakes. Can you imagine the mind of such a person? A geologist priest. Living a century ago in Italy, at the dawn of modern science, he studied volcanoes by standing on their edges in the hours, he hoped, before, or maybe just after an eruption, the sulfur smoke burning his nostrils, a Catholic priest face to face with the chaotic, molten energy bursting from the ripped seams of the earth itself. The lander's quake was a number nine on this scale, nine of twelve, violent and described like this damage considerable in specially designed structures well designed frame structures thrown out of plumb damage great in substantial buildings with partial collapse buildings shifted off foundations liquefaction now what follows is are 3 levels of extreme In which railways bend and monuments crumble, stone walls collapse, and the bridges tumble into the rivers, and the earth itself can be seen to slump. And then finally, total damage, the landscape moves in waves, in waves. Sightlines distorted, gravity defeated as massive objects, boulders, trucks, trains, are thrown up in the air before crashing down again. Giuseppe Mercalli died in 1914 in Naples at the age of 63. He was burned up, burned alive in his bed. Police later revealed that he was murdered over the equivalent of about $1,400, about a month's rent, if you're lucky, then or now. Soaked in gasoline and burned alive. You can prepare for an earthquake, but you can't prepare for that. Anyway, that's a good reminder to get your earthquake kit ready. Because it's going to happen one of these days, and you don't want to be cut off with no food, no water, none of your 45 prescription medications. You want to have this stuff together. Now here are some instructions from the Mormon Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in the Great American Desert in the state of Utah, Our Heavenly Father created this beautiful earth with all its abundance. His purpose is to provide for our needs as we walk in faith and obedience, and He has lovingly commanded us to prepare every needful thing, so that should adversity come, we may care for ourselves and our neighbors and support bishops as they care for others. The church encourages members around the world to prepare for this coming adversity in life by having a basic supply of food and water and cash money. Credit cards won't work. ATMs won't work. Now, the church tells people, don't go to extremes. Don't become a survivalist nut, but plan accordingly. Establish a home storage supply and a financial reserve. So, what should you have in your food storage? Well, according to the Mormons, you should have a three-month food supply and some long-term food beyond that. You should have a water supply and you should have some money. Common sense preparations. Being a responsible adult, I do keep a food supply as well. I bought it off the internet. It's specially made for people trying to follow the Mormon rule to have a three month food supply. Freeze dried foods of all kinds. We've got your beef stroganoff, we've got lentil stew, pasta primavera for servings, loaded baked potato, creamy a la king. what could that even be? We've got chili mac, vegetable and rotini pasta, cheese and broccoli soup, spicy corn chowder soup, classic chili, white bean chili, lots of chili, lots of beans. Average of 340 calories per serving. GMO-free, 25-year shelf life. I also keep a battery-powered shortwave radio. Lots of water. Flashlights tool kit, band-aids, batteries, and don't forget a book or three because you probably won't be able to look at your phone. And for psychological well-being, I like to keep six or seven bottles of hard booze and a backup supply of red wine and cold beer. It was the lack of water that kept so much of the American desert from being covered with settlements and mines and farms. And we are lucky to live in a time when so much of the desert has been set aside to stay the way it is, even as the giant cities, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Salt Lake, push ever outward, hungry for more land. But as always in the desert, when there is a water supply of any kind, no matter how difficult to reach, how ridiculous to transport, the kind of people who fly in on a charter jet from Orange County or Washington, D.C. are always scheming to take it away. We've got Brendan Mays on the line to talk about this insane plan to dredge up the water from an ancient Mojave aquifer under a national monument.
2: We're talking about introducing a new non-caloric flavored beverage. Uh, we're going to be calling it Mojave Mirage uh, because it has no calories, and that's part of the, uh, part of the appeal of it. Uh, I'm sure you've seen... Uh, in all the Costco's and all around the workplace that everybody goes to, there's this thing called LaCroix water. And it's taken the beverage uh, industry by storm. Uh, they're grown by leaps and bounds. And we thought, well, you know, with all this Cadiz water, the Cadiz water that we have now, that's gonna be being pumped up out of the desert, out of the desert floor, that we could uh, maybe get in on this and find a good use for this water instead of uh, exporting it to Orange County, Maybe what we could do is actually bottle it and brand it and export it for sale, do some good, make some money, be using a hell of a lot less water than pumping it out to golf courses in Orange County. We'd be actually make a viable product that people want to buy. That's refreshing. It's not bad for you. It's good for you and would extend basically the brand. ...of uh, the Mojave Desert throughout the world. We see it as a net positive and a a good source of uh, income to the local economy. The Mojave Desert is seen as a lack of water, and yet it's sitting on top of billions and billions of gallons of water that's just underneath the surface. It's kind of like a a paradox or a mirage. Well, you got to think about what people do when they think about Mojave. They think about the desert. They think about Joshua Tree. They think about purity. That's what they think about. Clean air, dry air, vast open vistas, no people, very little industry, everything clean and pure. That's what we're trying to get at. And you're thinking desert. Well, where's the water in the desert? Well, it's underground. And so what we're doing, and this goes along with the Mirage motif, When you see the desert, when you think about the Mojave, you think about Joshua Tree, and that's what we're trying to sell here. We're trying to sell pure, clean water. It's that paradox that really makes the sell. When you think desert, you think no water, but yet here's water from the desert. It's kind of like a little mind trick, and that's what we're trying to exploit. It looks like they're gonna be pumping up to 50, 60, 70,000 acre feet of water uh, with this uh, cadiz water project and we thought well you know that's not the best thing obviously environmentally but maybe we could turn this into environmental good or at least mitigate it somehow and try to make something good out of it so we thought well they're going to be pumping all this water there's going to be tons of water coming out everywhere maybe we could siphon off some of that and actually turn it into a good product that uh, provides people with uh, refreshment Uh, extends the brand of the Mojave Desert, uh, brings in more tourists, and uh, increases local employment. So that's the approach we're trying to take with this Mojave Mirage brand.
1: Now, the complaint, as I'm sure you've heard, is that this water feeds springs that provide life-sustaining water to wildlife in our various national parks and national monuments of the Mojave Desert. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes, it, we're, we're quite aware of the uh, the environmental impact. Some scientists say that you can draw a certain allocation of water and not affect spring flows or rates, you know, not affect Cottonwood Canyon or any of the very popular places where water appears in the desert. And other people say that if you take any water at all, you're going to affect things you can't see. And we need to like to think of ourselves as an environmentally conscious brand and people who are interested in protecting our desert, but we also know that this project is going to move forward whether we like it or not. So in terms of trying to mitigate any sort of environmental disruptions that may occur, we do have plans to take some of our water, our spare excess capacity, find any sort of springs that have been uh, disrupted or their flow lessened, and actually bring the water back to those springs. We have a We're going to think basically what we're thinking of is taking tanker trucks and refilling these local streams and refilling these local springs and other wet spots and other, you know, maybe vernal pools, whatever they got, and putting water back into them with the water that we take out of the pipeline. So that's our plan. Now, of course, we haven't fleshed it out completely, but we're thinking we could take a hands on, you know, trucks on take that water out where it's needed and replenish it for the wildlife that needs it to survive.
1: Now, you do realize that most of these springs that we are discussing here are inaccessible to all but biologists who hack through the growth on foot to measure these flows.
2: Well, we thought about that, too, and we got to say, you know, there's nothing that a drone can't reach. So one of our plans was to, you know, instead of hacking through thickets and try, you could just take a drone right over with a 50-gallon bucket, a 55-gallon barrel, and just drop the water directly on the site. You don't need to go and hike into every single place. And this is all doable with, uh, you know, with the technology we have today. This isn't even something way off in the future. We could be taking drones and dropping water right where it needs to be. We are firm believers in keeping, you know, the desert protected. And these uh, these biologists, who, wildlife biologists, who go out and study the desert and hack into these springs, we are trying to incentivize them, if they do notice that there's any sort of water disruption or whatever, to actually use them. I don't want to call them like a, a pack mule or a pack animal, but we could have them actually taking the water with them and replenishing the springs. and. And earning some money, you know, actually giving them, giving them a little bit of money, extra money to bring water into these affected areas, if these areas end up being affected, and that's a big if. Well, the way you do that is you you basically take the product and you you try to cloak it in a mantle of environmental responsibility. Some people call it greenwashing. We don't like to think of it in terms of greenwashing, because that sounds like you just put a thin coat of whitewash on something, and you're not really addressing any problems. We want to go deeper than that. We don't want to just greenwash something. We want to green paint it to shield us from the, you know, from the controversy, from the hot magma of controversy that is surrounding this entire project. we think that, you know, by a, by lubricating the uh, the you know the local groups, the local desert conservation groups, lubricating with a little bit of money and help with research, we could probably get them to see things, if not necessarily our way, at least to see our point of view and see that we're we're committed uh, stewards of the desert environment, just like they are, and that we want to work with them and we don't want to be against them, we don't want to get them angry at us. We want them to see all of the good that can come out of this project. And the good that comes out of this project is, is, is manifold. I mean, it's, it occurs with the extension of the brand of the Mojave Desert uh, worldwide, and all the wonders within. It's gonna get more tourism dollars here, and everybody knows those tourism dollars are very important. And so we think by increasing, by increasing the awareness of the desert, of the uh, beauty and spectacular nature of, that we have here, that we could actually get more tourists coming here and spending their dollars here our bottling plant, our also proposed brewing facility uh, we're thinking of adding up to 60 to 70 local jobs so we're trying to work with the national park service and getting our our facility uh, to be built somewhere within the sites of the actual entrance gates to a Joshua tree national park and if it can't be in the national park due to regulations, we can at least purchase private property abutting the national park. We're thinking about maybe setting up a facility on Park Boulevard somewhere. You know, uh, there's a bunch of uh, rundown houses around the area, you know, cars parked all over the place. They look kind of junky, in my opinion, and building a nice gleaming modern facility right at the gates of the park. That enforces our brand. And it allows us to basically associate ourselves even more strongly with one of the most popular national parks uh, in the entire world. I mean, everybody knows about Joshua Tree. If you're somebody living around you know, this area, if you're living in the Mojave, you might have that idea that it's environmentally devastating. But if you don't live here, you're not gonna perceive it as environmentally devastating. You're not gonna know anything about that. So, you know, and how big is our market here? Our market here is really small. How many people live out here? How many people live in the entire United States of America? 320 million. Now, that coupled with all of the uh, outreach that we've done to the uh, desert conservation community and all the money that we've put into the various projects to try to, you know, gain acceptance of our plans, uh, we think is going to quell. A lot of, a lot of the controversy, if there is any, uh, concerning our particular plans.
1: you ever take a nice long desert drive and stop somewhere to get out of the truck to stretch your legs and get a cup of coffee, and you're feeling very fine because you're out alone on the beautiful desert, and then there's some old crank at the gas station or looming behind you at the diner counter, and you can... Feel his eyes on your back, and you just know he's going to start talking to you in particular. And this, friends, is why I carry bear spray in the desert here is something that needs to be announced or re-announced on november 16th thursday night 7 p.m we will be presenting desert oracle radio live and in person we announced this on the previous broadcast but the venue has changed it's now the ace hotel in palm springs in the big Commune Hall live on stage to be recorded for this very broadcast. Special guests including the Mojave phone booth—you know, say phone booth—or more mysteriously, a feature film replica of the Mojave phone booth, now in the care of the booth master and Desert Oracle humorist Doc Daniels. Brendan Mays will surely be telephoning from this same phone booth. There will be other special surprises, guests. Make a night of it. Have a cocktail. Enjoy the show at the Ace Hotel Thursday, 7 p.m., November 16th. Many of you have been writing to ask about reserved seating. I will announce those details once they are invented on the next broadcast same place, Ace Hotel, hosting our fourth monthly edition of Desert Oracle Campfire Stories outside around a campfire, but don't worry because they also have a camp bar. October 5th, 7 p.m. at the fire ring, free and open to all, again on November 2nd and a Wednesday night, December 13th, all at 7 p.m. This program is brought to you by Desert Oracle, the pocket-sized quarterly journal of the American Desert. Become a subscriber and receive four beautiful issues. and $25 by check or money order to Desert Oracle, PO Box 1735, Joshua Tree, California. Subscribe online at desertoracle.com. The blessed autumn equinox has now occurred. Happy autumn to you all, and good night. From the voice of the desert.
0: Thank you so much, Ken Lane, for letting us play your episode. I hope that everyone enjoyed it as much as we do. We're not going to talk much after that. I think the show speaks for itself. But we did want to remind you once again that Desert Oracle is going to be taping live at the Ace Hotel on Thursday, November 16th at 7 p.m., And Ken is going to be there, and some of the other people that you heard in the podcast are also going to be there. If you want to find out more information, you can look up desertoracle.com. Well, April, thank you so much. I'm, I'm in love with his voice and storytelling, so I'm so happy to know about this. This is going in my rotation. Until next week, everyone, I'm Rachel. And I'm April. Bye.